It's Friday the 13th of May 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a deep dive into the multiverse. What it actually is, why it's become such a popular trope, what its popularity says about where we're at as a society right now, how it mirrors our relationship to the internet, and why, despite some cynical reasons for its usage in film, the multiverse might actually be exactly what we need right now. Here is some cool stuff for your ride home. Marvel's doing it, DC and Star Trek are doing it, everything everywhere all at once is doing it. A bunch of the best-selling novels of the last few years did it, even the obsession with the metaverse seems to reek of it a bit. I am talking, of course, about the multiverse. It's not that the trope of the multiverse in pop culture is anything new, but it is certainly having a moment right now. And if you think about it for two seconds, it's not entirely surprising. For the last several years, life has gotten exceptionally hard. It's gotten more confusing. Futures promised to the at least semi-privileged turned to smoke, and the less-than-privileged went from playing life on hard mode to screaming for survival while half the world insists their realities are fake news. It makes perfect sense that so many of us, as a society, would turn towards the idea that another timeline exists. A world where we can imagine we're happier, life is easier, and whatever upheavals of the last several years that we each think are the cause of so much strife now, simply never happened. It's a comforting thought. And one that came conveniently around the same time that so many various media properties were consolidating and buying each other out, creating the possibility, and in some cases the necessity, of introducing the multiverse into their storylines in order to weave together the previously disparate characters that now live all together in their intellectual property. Or, as Michael Swain put it in IGN at the end of last year, quote, The horse trading of IP is now driving story decisions when it used to be the other way around. End quote. But before I get into the cultural side of things, what is the multiverse? Physicist Luke Barnes published a very well-timed piece in The Conversation on the day that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out, explaining very broadly how there are a few different ways that the multiverse could actually exist, but that we really know very little about it, and that it wouldn't look like it does in the movies. The first thing is that the universe is massive, and as we can only see so far, I mean, sure, just about anything seems kinda possible. But the manifestation of those possible other universes would probably be unrecognizable, to put it lightly. Barnes explains that the exact combination of protons, neutrons, light, etc. that led to life existing was such a perfect recipe that we basically won the cosmic lottery over here. What are the odds another universe got it so exactly right as well? Pretty slim. But maybe it's not the only recipe that works. So if other universes are out there, they probably don't just look like rearranged versions of life as we know it, but like completely foreign objects created from entirely different fundamental ingredients. And one theory that could give credence to multiple universes is cosmic inflation. Quoting Barnes, 
According to this idea, most of space is expanding, inflating, doubling in size moment to moment. Spontaneously and randomly, in small islands, the new energy field converts its energy into ordinary matter with enormously high energies, releasing what we now see as a Big Bang. If these high energies scramble and reset the basic properties of matter, then each island can be thought of as a new universe with different properties. We've made a multiverse. End quote. But again, this is all just super theoretical, and the real science behind it is rarely what we're talking about when we throw around the term today. Today, multiverse tends to refer to a story jacked up with the power of countless media properties all consorting together on an adventure through space and time with the fate of the universe in their hands. So how did we get here? To a moment when this heady physics concept has become a popular trope across media? Swain at IGN has an idea. Quote, We're all pretty dang smart when it comes to pop culture and storytelling because we've all been steeped in it from birth in a way that previous generations weren't. The advent of the internet and smartphones has made us all fluent in the specialized lexicon of film, television, comics, and other media. Doubly so in an era where the biggest mainstream hits are sci-fi and superhero blockbusters about characters and worlds that were once nothing more than obscure niches to be discussed at Comic-Cons. That fluency is a big reason I think multiverse stories thrived in 2021. If creators had tried to tell a sprawling, interconnected story, like what Marvel pulled off with the Avengers in the 1970s, not only would the graphics have been hilariously bad, I think it would have confused the audience. There was absolutely a time when consumers couldn't hang with stuff as heady as the multiverse. We had to walk before we could transapparate. I mean, heck, there was a time moviegoers were totally blown away by footage of a train coming at the screen. It takes time for humanity to fully bake an idea and weave it into the stories and culture to the point that it becomes second nature. 2021 was the year our brain ovens went ding, the multiverse is ready. End quote. As Nicholas Barber at the BBC put it, it's not merely enough for a superhero to save the world anymore. It's not even enough to save the universe. Superheroes today have to save every possible universe in existence. We may be ready for big cinematic universes layered on top of each other now, but the multiverse isn't exactly new, which Swain acknowledges by pointing to examples like Homer's The Odyssey, which combined a bunch of existing legendary characters, and Barber adds that there are mentions of multiple realities in Hindu and Persian myths as well. Barber also explains that coexisting universes as a scientific possibility was first introduced by mathematician Hugh Everett in 1957. No other scientists really took it seriously, but within a few decades, it had inspired a ton of sci-fi writers. Michael Moorcock was the first to use the term multiverse in a fictional context in 1963 in his novel The Sundered Worlds. Comic books were also quick to jump on the multiverse train, although like their film franchise counterparts today, it was at least partially motivated by business and finances. When The Flash was cancelled in 1951 and then rebooted in 1956, DC gave him a new name, going from Jay Garrick to Barry Allen, and a slightly different costume, thus beginning the long tradition of superheroes having multiple alter egos, some passed down as heroes die or retire, and others existing simultaneously in different universes. Of course, now, multiverses in media have reached a fever pitch, and Barber has a few theories why. One is that it's an inevitability of narrative escalation. Quote, 
How do you raise the stakes after the entire cosmos has been in peril? Where is there left to go? End quote. But I also like his suggestion that the multiverse mirrors the oversaturation of our daily lives online. I mean, Ready Player One and Space Jam 2 certainly looked like a cluttered social media feed vomited on the silver screen. And this was apparently a direct inspiration for everything everywhere all at once. Co-director Daniel Scheinert told Slash Film, quote, We wanted the maximalism of the movie to connect with what it's like to scroll through an infinite amount of stuff, which is something we're all doing too much, end quote. The Daniels, from what I've heard, handled that beautifully in everything, everywhere, all at once. And so far, the MCU seems to be just about hitting the right balance as well. But Space Jam 2 decidedly did not. That may be because, as Shanti Escalante de Matei wrote recently in Wired, previous movies have tried to show what it's like to live in a cyber world, in the metaverse. But the best multiverse movies right now are showing, as Escalante de Matei puts it, quote, how it feels to live in an internet-augmented life. The issue, narratively speaking, is that once you take away the fantasy element of stepping through the looking glass slash screen, there's not much left to play with. The experience is mental, not visual or physical. The internet is explosive and revolutionary, but the lived experience of being online is kind of an oversaturated drag. How do you make a story out of the scroll? Watching someone type or tap a smartphone isn't engaging. Creating multiple worlds that mimic the social web's various pockets is. The multiverse, like the internet, is not immersive, but expansive. End quote. Escalante de Matei leans into my theory about the multiverse resonating so strongly right now because we've all been going through a uniquely rough time, and it's kind of nice to dream about life in another timeline. But she goes one step further in comparing portrayals of the multiverse to how we scroll through social media looking at other people's lives, using the internet as, quote, its own kind of scrying glass. The lives of others so magnified, minute, and measured, we see paths not taken, experiences unlived. But the internet is more than a depressing video feed of other people's parties. With curiosity and the blessing of anonymity, alt accounts, or just the complete lack of norms, the internet is also a place to embrace all kinds of potentialities, to mold yourself beyond your current physical circumstances, end quote. Escalante de Matei goes further, connecting the fragmenting of universes often portrayed as the central conflict in recent films with the fragmenting of society we see playing out online. Siloed communities understanding each other less and less. Strangers from strange lands occasionally coming together, and rarely in peace. I love this interpretation, but I also want to bring in a more optimistic take from Swain at IGN, who writes, quote, I don't think it's a coincidence that at a time when our culture is undergoing a drive toward expanded empathy for broader categories of people, we're also into stories that encompass multiple points of view at once, or embrace nuance by presenting several versions of the same person, several ways it could have been different. The multiverse setup is inherently empathetic that way. It invites you to inhabit a diverse set of viewpoints." End quote. And that's one way that playing with the multiverse, and to a less stark extent franchises in general, are a lot like fan fiction. I touched on this a bit on Tuesday when discussing the evolution of blockbusters over the last half a century, 
But as Swain points out, when you watch something like Marvel's What If animated series, for example, it doesn't make a whole ton of sense if that is your first introduction to, say, Captain America. But if you're familiar with the core character, the basic beats of his biography and his core values, then the alternate takes on the character are really interesting and actually help you go deeper into those values and the character's psyche. Quoting Swain again, By referencing entire continents of story that we're already familiar with, multiverse tales allow us to grapple with nuance and the broader galaxy of humans outside ourselves. End quote. In fanfiction, writers put their favorite characters into endless, non-canon scenarios, recasting them in different universes with different jobs, different sexualities, different disabilities, different past traumas guiding their decisions. One of the most popular fanfiction categories is the AU, or the alternate universe, in which, say, Captain Kirk and Spock live in our present era and meet in a coffee shop where Kirk works while trying to make it as a musician and which Spock frequents in between classes he teaches at the local university. What's cool about playing with familiar characters in this way is not just that fanfic readers and writers can create representation for themselves that may not exist in canon, but that someone reading the story already has a lot of the context. There doesn't have to be a lot of exposition for the characters or much world building, even when it is an alternate universe take. There's common language and jokes from the original source material that readers will pick up on without needing it to be explained. I've mentioned it a few times on the show, and if you follow me on social media, you'll know that I am hopelessly fixated on it at the moment, but the HBO Max show Our Flag Means Death has drawn a lot of comparisons to fanfiction. It's just a 10-episode first-season TV show, not a whole franchise, but it does pull from real historical figures that viewers are aware of. And like a lot of fanfiction, instead of leaning into what we know historically about those people, it tends to turn those facts on their head or prod at them and make us question lived experiences versus reported history. But the main reason I bring it up is because writer Alyssa Wu wrote in Extra Magazine recently about how this tiny little show making huge waves right now is an example of fanfiction approaches going mainstream. After outlining each of the ways the show perhaps unintentionally borrows from classic fanfiction constructions, Wu writes, quote, Our Flag Means Death shows that the tropes fanfiction writers have popularized for years aren't just a hit for their niche audiences, they can also be used to great effect for wider audiences. End quote. Which brings me back to Swain's point about how remixing well-known stories and plopping beloved characters into different universes can help us see those characters more complexly, and maybe even help see ourselves and each other more complexly as well. It's almost like any conversation you might have with an in-group, whether one based on your identity or special interest or what have you. Unlike when you try to explain your experience or hobby to an outsider and you have to define a bunch of things and describe how it all works, with your in-group, you can skip all of that and go straight to the more interesting, deeper discussion and analysis. That's what the multiverse, as it's applied in pop culture, lets us do. And maybe all that deep thinking and analysis will heal a bit of that social media-fueled fragmentation. Or maybe it's a reflection of the only way we know how to think now in a world consumed by hot takes. Maybe it really is just an inevitable boiling point of narrative escalation for generations who have never known anything but on-screen stories that do most of the imagining for them. Or maybe it's just the clever way the creative teams at all the corporations joining together figured out how to take advantage of their consolidated IP. If the multiverse is real, then I suppose 
all of that and more can be true at the same time. Well, I had a couple of other stories I was going to share today, but I think I will leave it there for now and save those other ones for Monday. Quite a few of you said that you liked the deep dives when I did them before, so hopefully you enjoyed this as well. But if you didn't, well, you probably aren't listening anymore anyways. And if you are, just know there will be more on Monday. That's the beauty of this show. If what I covered on one day isn't totally of interest, it'll be back the next day with all new topics. Every changing and all over the place our own little multiverse in a podcast package but that is it for this week this show was produced by ride home media i'm jackson bird and i will talk to you again on monday have a great weekend everyone